Welcome back to Campbell Conversations with your host Colin Campbell and today is episode 199 of the podcast and it is a solo Q&A. I do these every 10 episodes so most episodes ending in 9 in the last couple of years have been solo Q&As and I will be answering the questions sent in by the listeners on Instagram and via my email list. Today I have around 30 questions to get to and they include my thoughts on what I would have done differently to build this podcast, steps I took to progress my income and my corporate career after changing industry, parting in Mallorca, my own use of AI, coping with high standards and the self-talk that comes with that, and lots, lots more. We're closing in on episode 200 and that feels like a crazy milestone. So thank you so much to everyone that has supported me along the way to what I'm trying to build here in terms of the podcast and the conversation and the impact that it has down the line. We have over 500 five-star reviews when you combine Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I don't get massively weighed down by the metrics because some weeks it's slower than others in terms of the downloads and subscriber base and everything that comes with that. But the, as a metric, reviews and ratings do serve as a way to demonstrate progress and the reward for some of the reps and the work that I put in when nobody else is watching. Please do navigate your thumb to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and hit that five stars. It is a tremendous help. The level up from leaving a rating is choosing to share your phrase of episode from the archive and sending it on to a friend via WhatsApp or message. We really do grow one recommendation at a time and the audience has grown so much over the last three years, in particular over the last 12 months. And I'm very grateful for the opportunities that that brings. The more people that are listening and the more people that are supporting the show, the better quality of conversations that I can have and the better access to guests I can do as well. Today's podcast is sponsored and supported by Cal Recovery and their Cal Recovery Cold Plunge Pod. If you're anything like me, you train hard, you want to pursue the best version of yourself, proper recovery as well as the mental clarity you get is vital. Cold water therapy has been proven time and time and again, both by studies but also anecdotally, to support you in rapidly helping fight inflammation in the body, reduce fatigue, reduce injuries, while also giving you the chance to clear your head from the multitude of thoughts, stresses that we all take on board. I have been loving from a personal perspective the physical and mental benefits of a three to five minute cold plunge three or four times a week. In terms of the science, cold water exposure can increase your dopamine up to 250%, which lasts for hours afterwards. And I certainly know the buzz of when I've done it first thing in the morning throughout the rest of the day. My CalPod helps me hit reset on the busy life that I lead and start my day in the best possible way, cancelling out some of that noise and any nagging thoughts I've got at that moment in time. And it lets me feel fully recovered from my physical training as well. You can grab your own CalPod from the Cal recovery website which will be linked in the show notes and use cambro to save a whopping 10 percent and make it free delivery across the uk as well as i've said it feels amazing to be closing in that 200th episode and i cannot thank you sincerely enough for the support you've shown throughout that time the music's going to play and you've got 30 questions answered by myself back with a solo Q&A episode 199 for those that are listening on YouTube you won't have heard the introduction where I said a massive thank you to everyone for their support which has enabled a milestone like episode 200 to be just around the corner so thank you to you that are on YouTube and if you are listening on audio which I'm sure the majority of you are if you aren't across on YouTube please go across and hit the subscribe button on there we have grown a lot on there and it's still very much in its infancy on there versus the the kind of top one percent tagline that we've got on the audio podcast 
but 30 questions to work our way through and let's get cracking. Question number one, to start a business, you need to solve a problem slash spot a niche. Is this the biggest BS ever told? A little bit of a leading question and clearly you've got a bias, but I'm, I'm going to try and be as impartial as possible when I say that fundamentally, I think a business or a service or a product, it must fulfill a purpose, provide value or solve a problem. Importantly, pain is a much greater motivator than pleasure in many ways. I often give the example of the the rats in the study where they were uh, deprived of food for a period of time. They measured the speed and strength that they pulled um, th through their tail on a coil towards cheese. And then they measured them again when they had a, the wafting smell of a cat behind them and how far they pulled towards the cheese in that instance. And they found that the rats that were running away from the, the cat and pulling towards the cheese pulled harder than those that were just moving towards the cheese. So there is something from that. In my day job, if I think about what I solve there, we furnish properties, in particular majority student accommodation. And that's removing a burden and challenge and providing a positive outcome and solution. So it's doing both. It's removing the problem of maybe having to source furniture, having to assemble it, having to install it yourself. And it's providing a solution and an outcome in terms of having a fully furnished, durable, tidy, aesthetic property within your budget. If I was to coach a salesperson and get them to improve their confidence and their approach when they were prospecting, maybe how they held their meetings, how they structured them, the presentations they gave and the style they had, or even the conversations that they might need to have to close a deal and to, to get something over the line, I'm solving a problem or I'm helping them with somewhere that they've got a lack of either confidence or ability. And I'm also moving them away from a position where they're not fulfilling the potential of what they could earn or what they could sell or what they could benefit from. I think in that regard, solving a problem is something that a lot of businesses do try and do. Equally, you mentioned the, the term niche. I do think that's overrated, particularly in the early stages of your business, because I don't think while well, you can't appeal to everyone, being super specific and like pinpoint in the early stages is very, very difficult. You have to appeal to a reasonably wide base. So you've got something to shoot at and, and, and a wide enough client base to win. And then lastly, I would say that your value as a business can come from solving a problem, improving a situation, providing value, supporting. It doesn't necessarily just have to be uh, solving a problem, but I definitely think a number of businesses do have to solve a problem in order to be successful. Question number two, what are your thoughts or ideas on your own personal use of AI? Personally, I don't think I use lots and lots of AI. There's been a few clips that I've generated through an AI tool that I use called Opus, but my clips editor that I use on a personal basis is better and he's far more precise when it comes to picking the different clips and the things that will go well. And he personalizes it to Cambro with the different logos and stuff like that. I'm sure AI is working towards that, but it's not there at this moment in time, so I don't use it lots. There's a transcript tool that I've used before that's uh, an AI website. And it's much better and more efficient than me or even somebody else transcribing the full conversation while I'm listening back to it. You simply copy and paste the, the file across and it does it for you. It takes it takes half an hour or something like that, but that's still incredibly fast. And I'm not having to do that in that half an hour. I can go and do something else. And I guess the one that everyone is probably the most acquainted with or has dabbled with is uh, ChatGPT. It's really good for summaries of books that were written before 2021. Or if you're doing background research on someone that was known before 2021 as well, then it can be helpful for finding out different things about them that you maybe haven't been able to find from Wikipedia or, or other searches. My understanding is that future versions will, of course, include information post-2021, so it'll have a lot of value from, from that perspective. Currently, though, 
I see a lot of people using ChatGPT for writing their content, whether that's blog posts or social media or emails. And I think I can spot it a mile off. I understand that you should get the base of your article or your blog or your caption from ChatGPT. That, that's fine. I, I respect that. But you need to go a level deeper and personalize it and edit it. Otherwise, you're just going to be the same as everyone else that put it into the chatbot. Question number three. Are you pro or anti bringing back national service as you seem to have a firm view in the world men being too soft at present? I asked Simon Jeffries about this back on episode 173 of the podcast, Simon had served in the special forces and uh, before that, the, the general military. And he raised an interesting point. He mentioned the importance of choice in someone applying themselves properly. So if you were to put yourself into a training course or a university degree you're much more likely to put your all in if you feel like you've chosen you want to be there if it's forced on someone they might not embrace it and take the opportunities that are available to them my own view is as somebody said at the end of this question a lot of boys who would refuse national service may actually need it the most so if you make it compulsory the people who are opting out who would benefit the most from something sometimes people don't know what's fucking good for them in that in that regard I think it would fill in a number of areas that a lot of the generation that are coming through just now, they're a bit of a lost youth. It would give us more discipline. It would give us structure, hard work, and even pride in being uh, from Britain and from being a, a, a man as well, which I think is is missing at the moment. There's a, there's a really big guilt culture at the moment. There's a self-depreciating culture in the UK around men in particular. And I think this is one factor in the men's mental health crisis and a lack of identity and purpose that people are experiencing. For those that follow me closely on Instagram, you um, you may have seen this week that I was at an event for my grandpa. So my grandpa that played for Rangers, which many of you know about, Willie Thornton, he also served six years in the army during World War II. And in 1943, he won the military medal for his service in Sicily in particular for a very uh, intense mission that they went through there and his, his, his acts of valor and courage within that. And when I went to that ceremony, there was loads of young people from his hometown of Winchborough, which is tiny, a tiny town in, in, in Scotland. And some of the people speaking at it, it was quite emotional, but they were speaking about the fact that having positive masculine role models from the place that you're from gives you someone to look up to and something to work towards. And I think in today's society, we are missing that massively. And I think the youth would benefit hugely from that as well, because while they, they might not work with somebody who's got a military medal, they would probably look up to their captain or their sergeant or the general or whatever the rankings are within the system and find somebody that they could emulate and, and have as a positive male role model if they've been missing that in their life. I think national service gives an opportunity and ability for people to progress and to, to, to find something in themselves. And it's only 12 months. In the grand scheme of things, what is 12 months? I certainly think in my late teens and early 20s, I'd have gained from that experience. And I guess after that event uh, about grandpa's military medal, I'm even more inclined to say that I would have benefited from the military. And I think a lot of young men would too. Question number four, this relates to hair loss. Would you swap finasteride for a transplant? For those that have listened to a few solo podcasts before, you'll know that I've been taking finasteride since I was 21, which is almost 10 years ago. And it's limited the loss that I've experienced 
but there still has been something thinning and recession around my temples and I would plan to get a hair transplant at the temples within the next 18 months. But even after any transplant, because of the nature of hair loss and DHT within the scalp, you do likely need to maintain your finasteride dose or you'll see loss behind the transplanted area, which of course wouldn't look good. For me, finasteride, when I started taking it, was pretty much a lifelong commitment. So I don't think it's a case of swapping finasteride for a transplant. I think after you have the transplant, you probably get back on finasteride as well. Question number five, how did the Superfantas go down on holiday? Was this a brief break in your sobriety or is there no label on it? I completely embraced the full nature of the holiday. And when we went to Mallorca for a week, I drank four times in the seven days. And all four were very much sessions and parties that we we really, really went for it. I didn't necessarily label it. And I haven't drank in the UK since I did it twice in the summer of 2022, May and June and August. And before that, I hadn't drank for pretty much a thousand days, somewhere like 950 or something like that. Um, because I just decided to have a, a a really prolonged break. I've always been somebody that could go five, six months at a time without any alcohol whatsoever. And my elective sobriety approach is probably how I would still define myself where I choose the events that would meet my criteria. And typically that has been last year, it was the 12 week peak after party. And then it was my friend's 30th in Manchester. Then it was a couple of times in holiday in Dubai. And then this year it, it got until, what was that? July. I hadn't had any drinks and then I drank four times in seven days because the atmosphere and the events were right for that. Interestingly, since I've been home, I've been at a house party for my friend's birthday and I enjoyed the night till 2 p.m. I was there before I decided to drive home and this will not come as a surprise, but I was very social in that environment, enjoying myself and I had no real need for the alcohol. Equally, at the time of recording, I haven't been yet, but when this comes out, I will have been. I am the groomsman at my friend Dan's wedding uh, this weekend. And I plan on having a fantastic time without any alcohol whatsoever. So uh, the Super Fantas went down very, very well on holiday. I loved it. I certainly felt the after effects and the fatigue from it because my body's not used to that. But that was what the holiday was likely to be. And that's what I, I signed up for and what I went into. Question six, which is linked to that. How many boat parties can a man have? I think, well, I, I don't think. We had three in seven days, but there was actually two others that I skipped on. Uh, one of them... Uh, just uh, I wanted to do something else that day and then one of them I was actually too hungover to to face it I think we were going to meet for the boat at 12 o'clock and we got in at 5 a.m that morning and I was just thinking you know what I'll just enjoy myself by the by, by the pool but the, the 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 boat parties were amazing like you're you're in the middle of this stunning blue sea it's it is absolutely beautiful there's lots of little bays that you can dive into we went to a thing called Grand Follies Beach Club um which is somewhere near Portals uh, in Mallorca and it was, yeah, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. And between, between 10 and 12 of you, the boat, the kind of size of boat that we were renting on a couple of those uh, three days, it was under a hundred pounds each day each. So I think I was 75 the first day and then 90 something the, one of the other days. And that's for a full day's rental and for, for your fuel as well. Question number seven, how much, how do you look so much heavier than you are? For reference, I got asked uh, on my story how heavy I was in my holiday photos. And for those that are interested, I am five foot ten, and I'm a, I was between seven. I was roughly seventy three kg on holiday, which is actually a little bit lighter than I realised I was because I had weighed in as much this year. Apart from a few times, I did. I did. I think I did four weigh ins in the week before my holiday just to judge where I'm at. I looked at my condition. I was like, yeah, I'm, I, look, I look good enough to go on holiday. No problem. That'll do me. But I definitely lost some weight because of the boxing training that I added in this year. 
I probably wasn't eating quite enough. I was, I was comfortably kind of sitting like 74, 75, sometimes pushing 76 um, if, I'd, if I'd been eating more socially at, at, at the at the weekends but i do actually find it hard to put on weight concertedly so when i add in more activity like boxing and a little bit of cardio in my leg days to try and be fitter uh, i've accidentally lost some weight so i was about 73 kilos on holiday but in terms of how i look bigger than 73 kilos the the cheat is really low body fat having good proportions and muscle in the right places is vital but it all being on show and not really having any fat mass over the top of it accentuates the edges and the framing to yourself i also have a pretty slight frame and small joints so tiny wrists tiny ankles and i'm generally quite a light person in general most people also assume that they'll be heavier when they're leaner but in reality if somebody's like that to me oh i think i need like lose like five six kilos and have a six pack I would probably say to get like really the abs that you're maybe talking about with myself, people typically need to lose more weight than they realize because there's a lot more fat in the body than people realize. And it doesn't all come off the areas that you want it to. It typically comes off uh, comes off your bum, it comes off your your quads, it comes off your hamstrings before it's coming off your before it's coming off your your uh, your stomach and your love handles, which is uh, the biggest challenge for for a lot of people. But to look heavier than than I am have a lot more muscle than, uh, than 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 fat have good proportions in terms of kind of cap delts through side raises and rear delts and wide uh, upper back and lats definitely helps with the proportions and then that kind of um, x frame where you've got kind of wider quads as well question number eight would you rather give up golf completely or have to watch every televised cricket match I like my golf, but sitting down to find the time to watch every single game of cricket would be the first barrier to entry in that regard. And the reality is that I <laughs> I don't think I ever watch cricket and I'm not particularly interested in it. For full disclosure, the only series I can properly remember being interested in and watching large parts of, because the, the matches are very long, the test matches, I think they're five days typically. I watched the 2005 Ashes when England beat Australia uh, in England. And I'm not sure why it massively captured my imagination, but I understand it is regarded as one of the more iconic English wins because I think they were captioned by Freddie Flintoff. He was a bit of an icon. There was a number of other legendary English players and they were up against what uh, was deemed a very good Australian side, people like Glenn McGrath, uh, Shane Warne, who uh, who actually passed away recently, didn't he? They were, they were known as a pretty good side. And interestingly, I actually even bought Brian Lara Cricket, which was a game for the PlayStation. Uh, after that particular series but i never stuck with it and i wasn't particularly interested so i think if i had if, I, if i'm being forced with this kind of hypothetical silly question i would give up golf because i, I just don't have time to every, watch every single hour of cricket that's on the tv question number nine what do you find tiring well firstly recovering from four days drinking out of seven was a was a new shock to the system that i've not experienced probably since i was in my very early 20s and i went away on on holiday with my brother and my friends but on a serious note i think doing work that doesn't overly stimulate or challenge me is actually more tiring than stuff that is potentially in other people's eyes more tiring so for example i don't find training that tiring i feel energized after it. i feel excited after it i also feel almost limitless energy and momentum when i'm working on things that i feel the right blend of challenge and stimulus from but i also know that i care about them and I can feel like there's a benefit to the work that I'm putting in, as well as that I'm relatively skilled and able to do it as well. I don't think there's anything worse than doing something that you're absolutely rubbish at and knowing that it's not really a game changer or a dial mover and it's not really having an impact. So if you ask me to do 
particular admin tasks, I'll do it grudgingly and I'll have to really push myself to take it off and I'll feel tired and groggy after it. Whereas if you ask me to maybe research a particular podcast guest or to get on this uh, this microphone tonight and, 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 and answer these 30 questions, some people might find that really tiring, but I don't. I'm, I'm excited by the prospect of it. So everyone has got little domains where they get benefits. So I find that tiring. I also find it tiring sometimes debating some of the different conspiracy theories that are going on at the moment. I, I'm trying my absolute best to not be negative about where the world's heading because I think we should all just take massive personal responsibility. And if it is going to hell in a handbasket, at least I'm putting myself in the best spot possible position but that can be tiring sometimes as well although other times it can be it can be good fun too so that that's a that's a kind of side note to that question question number 10 which guest do you think impacted your listeners the most so many different guests in so many different ways will have impacted the listeners i know that even episodes that have had half the number of downloads as, as some of the more popular ones i've had really interesting messages about how somebody has taken action off the back of what the guest has said or they've done something really positive or it's spoken to them in a particular way that's moved them which is fantastic but I do know that hundreds, literally hundreds of people have messaged me and told me that they started investing after the the Andrew Craig episode, which is in episode number 42 in the podcast where he spoke about how to own the world and start investing. That's pretty significant because there's probably hundreds or thousands of people more who maybe got interested in investing off the back of that podcast, but didn't take the time to say to me or Andrew. And that's just the nature of listening to content i don't expect people to give me feedback in every podcast in fact it's getting to the stage now where i'm almost not able to come back to everyone that gives me feedback although i really do get a good try when almost i don't know almost ten thousand people have listened to that andrew craig episode and for people to have been impacted across the board at that with something as important as becoming more financially literate and taking action on it for your future self that's a pretty incredible episode Beyond that, um, you've got four episodes with Deck and Don from Crypto Glasgow. They open people's mind up to investing in a, a less understood asset class. And again, I'm, I'm focusing quite financially here because I do think financial and money is a, is a big mover for people and it can be very impactful. They've been on the show four times and tens of thousands of downloads across those episodes and people always get in touch with me after that with the action they've taken or they'll ask me about my crypto portfolio with some of the solo co- Q&A's, a lot of people uh, ask me about about crypto, in particular XRP and Bitcoin. But I definitely think that's an impactful episode. And of course, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't mention our most played episode, which is with uh, Richard Dixon. Many of you were impacted by his story, his mindset, his drive, his enthusiasm for growth and pursuing what you really want in life. And just by sheer weight of numbers and the number of people that shared their story and sent messages off the back, I think that episode has, has got to be up there as well in terms of impact. But as I said, there, there could be somebody listening, you could, you could maybe be listening to this right now through your, your, your AirPods or through your car stereo or wherever you're choosing to listen and thinking, oh, but what about this guest called? I can't believe you've not mentioned them, but that's the nature. There's been 198 other episodes and I'm, I'm sure there's probably someone in there that's had an impact on you more so than, than someone else. Question number 11, nicely done in reversing this. Uh, which guest has a- uh, actually impacted you the most? And there was another question that was just like this, which said, which uh, which guests have impacted my life the most and in what way? Recency bias, just by nature of having done more recent interviews uh, and it's sticking with me more, uh, somebody like Dr. Aria would stand out. I learned a lot from him about spirituality, going with the flow, preparing yourself in times of calm for the storm that inevitably will come and he's got some amazing examples from how he's done that in his own life that really resonated me a lot because I feel like I am somebody that prepares myself for dealing with challenging periods even though my life in the western world as a middle class white man is pretty comfortable I 
I, I try and be ready for the storm. And it, it, funnily enough, it, it depends how long you've been here. But my first ever solo episode was episode 15 of the podcast. And I spoke about a time in 2019 where I just moved job from a job where I was kind of the golden boy of the company. But I wanted to move into a bigger industry within the insurance sector. I moved. And within 12 weeks of being there, the company was bought over by American Hedge Fund and they made the entire UK operation redundant. So for me, that was a really interesting test of me being resilient and strong enough. And anyone that's listened to that episode will know that I came out of that better. And anyone that I think hopefully knows my my character knows that I'm extremely resilient and extremely resourceful in that regard. So I came out of that with one, a better job and didn't really lose any sleep over it. Whereas I think a lot of people, a redundancy is one of the, the big, the big, the big fears that you would have. So when Dr. Ari was talking about being calm and stoic and building yourself up and testing your limits and, and, and building up your psychological strength in times of calm so that when the inevitable storm does come, because it will come, whether it is a redundancy, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a, a death in your family, it could be absolutely anything. You need to be ready for it. And uh, that definitely spoke to me. Beyond Aria, I've definitely been heavily reacted by the Crypto Glasgow boys. I mentioned uh, Deck and Don in, in, in that last one to the extent that one third of my investment portfolio was in crypto and I didn't understand it before October, 2020. And so that's moved pretty quick. The, the relearning of some of the lessons around brain chemistry was something I learned from TJ power. So if I was to talk about a, a kind of third guest that's had an impact, I would say TJ is definitely that one. I mentioned him on a lot of podcasts because he spoke about dose, which is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And I feel that once you can master some of those chemicals and the behaviors that you can do with your with your body to dictate how your mind feels is something that is definitely worth considering. Number 12, right, here we go, is CT Campbell dating. I'm smiling because that's my personal Instagram handle and I suspect this is probably one of the most personal questions that you can be asked on a podcast like this, albeit I am pretty fucking transparent. I'm not dating anyone just now. And... In the interest of transparency, I did plan at the start of 2023, one of my things was be more intentional with your dating. And that was influenced by the work of Logan Yuri, who is a future upcoming guest on this show. We're just getting a date sorted out for Q4. But Logan encouraged you to have intentionality with the kind of partners that you seek, the places you spend time, the way that you date. But I would consider my conscious efforts in dating in 2023 to be pretty lazy. And that's not a trait I like in any aspect of my life. I really like, I really dislike laziness. So if somebody was like, oh, your future partner's going to be lazy, but no, thank you. But it's clear now at the age of 30 that I definitely have high standards. I've got big expectations, both of myself, but obviously the people I spend time with. And with that, it also means I probably need to work harder to find the right type of girl that I would want to spend time with, as there's certainly less of that standard immediately available a lot of them have been snapped up by their boyfriends a lot of them are um not going to be on, on on tinder or hinge or other apps and i also think glasgow is, is not somewhere that necessarily has a lot of high value women of my age bracket that i'm necessarily looking for alongside this i want to take total and complete responsibility for not meeting the many high value women that are out there because I've either not been in the right places, I've not been in the right mindset when I've been at an event to go and approach women or or, or go and make that first move to, to, to break the barriers down. So when it comes to dating, completely single, don't feel I've made the right amount of effort to speak to the right type of women. In 2023 in particular, like don't get me wrong, I've, I've definitely gone on dates, but they, they haven't 
worked out for whatever reason and uh, I take complete responsibility for that position. Question number 13. In the corporate world, how do you deal with people who don't share the same growth mindset? This actually came up in the very last solo podcast, but I will cover it again just now because I think it's important and I think a lot of people will gain from this, whether you're in a corporate job or whether this is just in in, in day-to-day life as well. But it definitely took me a while to understand and actually accept that some people, and I would say most, don't actually care as much as you do or they don't take the same pride in their outcomes or their efforts as you do. And that's not necessarily that they don't care entirely about the result, but it's they don't maybe want to progress and chase down the bigger and better things that the type of people that listen to this type of podcast probably want to do. So when you bring in something exciting or challenging and you want to push the envelope and work, you want to scale up, you want to increase, that actively intimidates the people that you work with because you're dragging them out their comfort zone by the very nature of you want to do something bigger, better or harder or, or, or new, you're going to stress them and they are not in a mind to wanting to be stressed. Stress is often a good thing because it's, it's, it's a sign that you're embracing growth. I think when you remember and understand that some individuals aren't as passionate about progress as you are, you treat them slightly differently. You're going to work alongside people who just want to clock in and do the minimum possible to get paid what they get paid, and that suits them to, to, to do that. I think, first of all, you need to identify if that's the case. And don't discriminate. Like, just welcome the fact that that's the case. We can't all be go-getters. We can't all be aspirational. And when you work alongside these people, work alongside them in an appropriate way. For me, that's not expecting the same standard that you do from yourself. I would also say if they are extremely negative and all they do is moan and don't offer solutions, that is a surefire red flag that they are not growth mindseted and they're not going to be somebody that shares your same approach. For me, my approach would be something like lowering my energy, so not coming with the same level of intensity around these people. I'll try and dial it down a little bit. My emails won't be as fast-paced. When I get on calls with them, I won't be as uh, chirpy or as intense. I will respectfully keep on top of those people to make sure that they're doing the work they need to do to support my projects and support what I'm doing. But I'll be polite and firm. I won't be super intense. I won't be too demanding. I'll try and do some of the stuff for them and be really clear in my instruction as well. So there's no room for leeway and there's no room for an easy out or an easy quit because people like that will take the easy path. But I will get what I need from them and what has to happen. I'll take that off, but I won't invest time in coaching them or trying to get them involved with other projects or trying to get them to do anything more than they might want to do. I ideally wouldn't work with somebody like that on a project that I really care about, but you are often reliant on those people within your work and you just need to get the maximum input from them and support them to do that without being too pushy that you you cause uh, a weak little snowflake decline. Number 14, if you could repeat one podcast, what would it be? It is so hard to pick just one podcast because all of them were so much fun and I really, really genuinely come away from the conversations excited and pleased and, 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 and hyped up to share them with you. But some of the ones that I've laughed the most at and kind of been the most in flow and just genuinely enjoying myself with probably a couple of the ones I did with Dr. Yusuf Smith. And... I think if you listen back, you'll hear how much fun I'm having during them. There's some great life, career, business, and even like biohacking advice within those. And we end up on topics that are just ridiculous. We talk about no fat, we talk about incels. We, it's just a, it's just a wide and loose conversation. Particularly that second one because we, it, I mean, I think it underlines. I was really keen to have that conversation again because 
within eight months of doing the first one, I had him back on. And this time we actually did it in person as well. And it, yeah, that, those were great fun. So I'm sure there'll be a chance for me to have Yusuf on again in the future. I'm sure we'll do it again in person, whether that's uh, down in Newcastle or, 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 or up in Glasgow. But yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. And I'm sure I'd like to re- repeat that kind of conversation again. Number 15, you said you reflect daily through journaling. Do you ever feel like skipping it if you've had a bad day? Of course you do, because when you say something critical about yourself, it's not particularly nice to think about in your mind. And it's even maybe harder to sometimes formulate it in words or in writing. But that is when it probably counts double. Like people say, oh, the the, the gym sessions you don't want to do, they count double. And I, I, would, I would probably largely agree. And the value you get from writing after a bad day is probably greater than the ones you get after a good day. Don't get me wrong, reinforcing the good and having gratitude is very important. But after a bad day, working out why things panned out the way they did, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? What could I have tackled in the middle of this day so that after noon, it was better rather than the same shit trajectory it was on the whole time? And how can I move forward in a positive light? So of course, when I'm journaling, I'm in that habit, there's going to be days where you're like, oh my God, I really rather not check in just now. But those are the ones that can definitely help and support you moving forward. Question number 16, do you have any guilty pleasures and do you think these are still important to have when trying to live a high performance lifestyle? I've not used the term guilty pleasures in my life for as long as I can remember. And I genuinely Googled like common <laughs> common guilty uh, pleasures when I, when I was sent this question. And those tend to be things like, I don't know, trash reality TV or, oh, I'm really partial to a particular type of takeaway on a Saturday. I can't say I've got a particular one that would fall into one of those categories because with guilty comes a level of shame and guilt about doing it or enjoying it. One of my qualities that I feel that I have is I do almost everything that I partake in. I feel I've got a good level of conscious intent behind it. I say no to so many different things that sit outside of what I want to do or outside of my desires. It's definitely one of the qualities I've been quite good at when it comes to activities. Somebody's like, oh, let's go skydiving. I'm like, no, I'm okay. Let's go to, let's let's get a Chinese takeaway. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll get something else. I'll get something I actually want. So I, I, don't, I don't think I necessarily have like a particular guilty pleasure because I think the word guilt associating it with a pleasure is, isn't great. I think traditional guilty pleasures like trash TV or takeaways or whatever it is, I don't think it necessarily is incompatible with a high performance lifestyle, but it should form a very small part of it. And I think the framing of it is probably the most important thing. So as much as possible within your day, try and have conscious choices that you know what they result in, what maybe what they subtract from your lifestyle, what they, what they, what the cost is. So if, for example, you know, like all my guilty pleasures, I get a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's every Sunday night and your goal is to build the best possible physique that you can. Well, that guilty pleasure is self-destructive. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's just a just a, a, a stupid behavior. So, with that in mind, I, I would say try and reframe how you how you look at these things. And guilty pleasure is maybe not the not the best term, but yeah, there's there's definitely things that I do that are incompatible with a high performance lifestyle. But I don't I don't feel guilt about them, and I don't necessarily see them as a guilty pleasure. Number seventeen. When is the Cole Campbell and IBCYM boxing match? Ian and I have been doing boxing since January but we haven't been since the start of July a couple of weeks before we went away on holiday it was just too manic and too busy but we do start back next week in mid-August which should be good however there is no plans for more sparring or a match again because we had a little bit of an incident where 
one of us, not me, got a broken nose uh, during some sparring that got out of hand. I think that was inevitable. And having watched a lot of people who are amateur and not like particularly trained boxers doing sparring on Instagram in recent weeks, it turns out Ian and I were not indeed sparring, but pretty much just having a fight. Um, the intensity of which was just far too much. If, if somebody was like, "Oh, you're punching at fifty percent," I think we were punching at one hundred and fifty percent because uh, it was it was pretty intense and, and pretty hard going. So there's there's lots more boxing training to come, but there's no plans for uh, a Cambros boxing match anytime soon. Question number eighteen: What's your future upgrade plans for the podcast? Maybe a hornier, more exciting intro tune. Regard, regarding the tune just before we move into my, my actual plans one of the bits of feedback that I got when the Rob Henderson episode kind of reached a different part of the podcast universe and, and, and really grew the show again if you've not listened to that one I think that'll be an interesting one for you to dive back to was that the the music at the start comes on super loud and super intense so I edited that and changed that and it's improved where it now kind of fades in and fades out and it's shorter as well. So I am always open to feedback on those types of things. So if there, if somebody has a, a particular tune in mind, then they, please do do get in touch if you think it would it would suit the style of the show. But one of the challenges with that is, of course, it doesn't it can't be copyrighted music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You'll hear that on all the main podcasts. None of them have like uh, a, a kind of smash hit banger that you would recognize as that immediate song. You're more like, oh, that's the theme tune from such and such as podcast because it's distinct in that regard. But in terms of actual upgrades. More and more in-person interviews where possible is probably the most notable one. Interestingly, we've had a lot more guests who've actively travelled to come on the podcast, which has been really cool. Uh, Ned Phillips and Harrison Ward are probably two of the most notable ones that we've done recently that have done all they could to make sure they could schedule it. So they were in Glasgow at that point in time and Harrison travelled up to, to make the podcast happen. Ned came across from dollar but actually lives in singapore and we we, we were initially going to record over zoom but he made a real effort to make sure that he was in the country when we were when both our diaries were able to make it work so i think that would be probably one of the main notable upgrades that i think you'll see on the show i think you'll see more in-person guests even when the guest isn't from scotland which is a uh, which which is pretty cool and i've got i think i've got two in the next three weeks that are both people who don't live in scotland full-time who will be on the podcast in person, which is very cool. Number 19, what is the biggest piece of value for being in the Yes Academy? On a personal role, I dove right into the sales training as I see the founders of Yes are Richard Dixon and Paul McFadden, both of whom have been fantastic guests on this show. I see them as great, talented salespeople in their own right. And I've had a lot of sales training within my corporate career over the last eight, nine years. And I feel like I'm quite sharp in that regard. I've sold over a million pounds of furniture this year. Like it's, it, 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 I've, I've gotten good at this in terms of this space. But both the modules that were delivered in the S Academy for sales were absolutely excellent. And I had immediate things I could sharpen up on and add. One of them was tonality um, in particular in terms of when you pitch things. And I actually do that within the podcast as well in terms of when I raise my voice, when I'm wanting to concentrate on something, et cetera, et cetera. So those two modules from a personal perspective were actually excellent if you're talking about the biggest piece of value in terms of on a on a on, on a wider basis and you're thinking about the value for 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 my listener base i'm delighted that i can bring something that's got the depth and the breadth of info and lessons for people that are looking to build an entrepreneurial career 
if you're looking to build something that enables you to be an entrepreneur long term and not necessarily like a flash in the pan one-off quick win business that lasts six months before you change change your mind and go into the next venture i think the yes academy helps people who are young in terms of experience in that space to build a skill set that's going to make you a force to be reckoned with in the entrepreneurial world and alongside that you also get to tap into a network of highly successful people but also people that are building at the same time as you so you're getting daily inspiration and improving your network through the telegram chat that the yes academy members are all in and it's people that are all pushing in a positive direction and that's actually quite hard to find online so paying to be part of that community getting the information actioning it and then talking to people about it as well that's definitely worth its weight in gold number 20 after interviewing dylan madden are you in the real world no i've not joined the real world but i certainly have a lot of respect for the value that things like the real world build uh, for young men in particular uh, whether when they're wanting to, to to try and escape the matrix quote unquote or try and build a, a better life and i think the, the actual average age is somewhere between 19 and 21 so that says a lot in terms of the kind of people that are diving into that who would traditionally have maybe gone to university or they aren't academic but they're trying to turn their hand to something different as well so big respect for for what they've done and the previous question was about the s academy and i've joked before with richard that the s academy is a, a kind of less controversial and more uk-based uh, version of the real world for young people to build their skills and to build up their wealth so i think that's a, a really positive tie-in in that regard question 21 what is your plan to get out of employment if that is indeed your goal I think it's completely irresponsible in this day and age, for me anyway, to only have one income stream. And by that I mean, look at what happened during C19, look at what happened during different recessions over the last 15, 20 years, look at what happens during different crises. I mentioned in 2019, I moved company in good faith and within 12 weeks, the entire operation, regardless if you were the, the, the star that they were bringing in to do more sales, they all got made redundant. So at the end of the day, I think only having one income stream is a very risky and potentially foolish place to be. And with that in mind, I'm very keen to scale the other income streams that I have and offer more from this particular platform. Because I regularly have people asking me off the back of the podcast about three or four main areas that they would want support or have more conversations with me around as well, which is really cool to see. And it is, it's actually wrong that I don't have an offering for them. It's irresponsible on my behalf to not have more income streams. And it's irresponsible to my audience for me to not be able to support them. Whether that's something as precise and as niche as podcasting or how to grow a podcast and set one up, or whether it's something wider like speaking with more confidence, improving their sales ability, or building time management structures and productivity tools to make sure they can do all the different things they want to do in the same way that I'm doing it. Or even if it's improving their physical health and their well-being, I should have different ways of being able to support people off the back of that. So I think that's the, the the plan to have something in those different areas that people can benefit from. And then of course, off the back of that, I would be remunerated accordingly. Equally, I've never been someone that would ever consider leaving employment if it meant a lesser lifestyle lined up to replace it. I'm somebody that has growth and aspirations in mind, and I've done that within my corporate career. And I think we'll touch on that in one of the one of the other questions within this. But yeah, I think I think it's tremendously important to make sure that I have the right safety nets in place off the back of ever wanting to to go full time as a a solopreneur and entrepreneur. Question number twenty two: 
any particular personal qualities that you used to neglect but now work on thanks to a particular guest you've hosted. There's some bias in the guests that I host because I typically will admire their traits in one way or another. And I think if you look at a lot of the guests, there's some similar positive traits within them that I often mirror myself as well. That's why we get on in some regard. Equally, I don't love or get on with every single guest. Of course not, it's not possible. But with that, I've already probably attempted to gain some of the lessons from some of the guests that I've hosted and implement them in areas of my life. So there are some traits that you'll notice within guests that are similar to me, but of course there's some differences as well. Because in terms of areas that I neglect or I know that I could potentially be better, I, I again, I've talked about this on previous solo podcasts before, so apologies for the overlap, but I think this is an important point to stress. I don't think I'm radically creative in that I'm not someone that creates something that's super unique and brand new and edgy and different. I, as a personality, like to see how things are done, understand a bit more about them, come in, improve on them, bring my own spin, make it my own version and build it in the best possible way with my relentless work ethic and my ability to index on quality and do things better than the average man, in my opinion. But somebody like Matt Kelly, who I hosted back in episode 183 or something like that, he's built numerous brands with just the most creative, visionary direction. And he's a guest I really admired that about. And if I could have more of that quality, then it'd probably be something that I would enjoy. But equally, I would have to do it in the in the Colin Campbell way. You don't want to be the Aldi Matt Kelly or the, the Costco, whoever. You want to be the best possible version while borrowing some of the traits or personality qualities from somebody else. Okay, the number 24. Do you think podcasting is too saturated now and how can someone decide if they should have one yes podcasting is saturated but not with good and consistent ones there's lots of podcasts out there that turn up occasionally and deliver the odd podcast and then they're gone or there's lots of podcasts that do eight episodes and i think the stat is something like 80 percent of podcasts don't make it past episode eight and then another chunk after that fall away episode 23 so depending on your goals you should absolutely consider having a podcast if you don't necessarily need to have like a kind of global podcast like this one in terms of trying to get to that top 1% or, or beyond or whatever else. You don't need world domination. Podcasting is the ultimate now, the ultimate personal brand tool. It's also the ultimate networking tool. Let's go to that first point, personal brand. From personal brand perspective, it provides a massive funnel. So if you're somebody that has a business where you need to be the front face of it, or you need to create leads, or you need to create content to attract investors or to attract customers, podcasting is brilliant because you record for an hour a week. And off the back of that, you create five or six different short form clips. You get the transcript from it. You can write your emails and your captions. You get to create authority in the space that you're in because you're talking about a particular topic that people will deem you to be credible or an expert in because if you can't hold a conversation for an hour, chances are you're probably not very credible. But if you can do that, then your audience will have trust in you and they'll have faith in your personal brand, which is very important. And then the networking side of things, I have spoken to people on this podcast and I've got friends that host podcasts as well that have spoken to people they couldn't possibly believe they would have spoken to if they didn't have a microphone and a good setup and a few thousand listeners that would enable them to do that as well. So podcasting is an incredible tool for both building your personal brand and for your network. And if you are somebody that thinks those two things are important to you in the longer term, podcasting, in my opinion, is still pretty young. Not everyone's listened to podcasts yet. 
more and more people are listening every single year, which is fantastic. More and more people are building podcasts, but then them falling over. There's loads of things that you can do to, to fix that. And I'm, I'm, that's something that I, I can definitely speak about and support people with. But no, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think if you had the right approach, I don't think you would become just one of the other mundane kind of shit podcasts out there that falls over. Question number 25 have you found yourself get closer to God during your self-development journey? A deep question. No, I don't think I'd say closer to God, but more open-minded to the benefits of religion through this podcast. A number of people I've spoken to that have a faith that I have a lot of respect for, and I can see the role it plays within society, particularly as we become more debased from reality and more woke and more politically correct i think we definitely miss elements of religion where i had a lot more common sense to it in that regard but equally religion has its downfalls too but i would say in my self-development generally i've become more spiritual and more open to concepts like energy and power but probably less so i don't think i've moved closer to having faith in one higher power or one deity or entity uh, above us but i've got complete respect for people that do and probably i probably got more respect off the back of the podcast for people that have a faith than i did before i started i was probably a lot more secular beforehand question number 26 biggest learning earning and mistakes since pod one you're smashing it well thank you very much uh, in terms of learning consistency and improving on quality over time relentlessly can get you into the top one percent in many many fields i'll repeat that again if you are consistent and you relentlessly improve the quality of your consistency and the efforts that you're putting in, then you can get to the top 1% in your field. Now, I've demonstrated that can happen. I've learned that. I can do that in the podcast world. But many of my guests are top 1% in their field. They're outliers. They're people that have achieved things that are beyond their peers. That's something that's just been reinforced over and over again within the, within the, within the episodes. The second one was biggest earning. I mentioned this in the, in the previous question. My network is worth its weight in gold. I have some phenomenal friends. I've got some amazing numbers in my in my in my WhatsApp now. I've got some amazing email contacts that I've got. I've learned a tremendous amount from speaking to these people. I've done business with some of these people as well, and that's only the very tip of the iceberg. And I haven't cashed in a lot of that yet. And I'm not in a rush to because I'm not somebody that does it purely for that reason. But in terms of earning from the podcast podcast one, I, I've massively earned the brilliant and strong network that i've got that will open doors for me in the future and will continue to do so at this moment in time too biggest mistake i think elements of the production in the early days and even up until i don't know 30 40 episodes ago no probably not i'd probably say like episode 130 or something like that i think the quality could have been higher faster i think when you do like the first 20 episodes and you're in the strictest possible 10 weeks of the first lockdown i did 20 episodes two a week i think it's only fair that you were just recording on the mic that you had and zoom that you had access to and the clips that you were producing off the back of it or like this little audio wave clip that i kind of cringe when i see them now and the thumbnails on youtube were absolutely non-existent and the kind of audio graphics and promotional images that i created were absolutely shit that's fine because i didn't know any better but as that started to progress, I should have leveled up the quality of that sooner. And some of the guests that I had on during that period, I probably would have reached more of their audience and showed them how good a show this is if I had done that part of things better earlier on. And I think if I was to talk to Colin in 
late 2020, early 2021, when the podcast was kind of ticking past 50 odd episodes, I would have indexed more on some of the quality in terms of moving on to StreamYard, getting the better microphone, having better clip production, having better thumbnails and promotional images and really doubling down on that regard. That would definitely be a mistake that I made that I have decided to rectify fairly recently. Question number 27. Uh, As a super focused and high performing individual, in my opinion, how do you cope internally with keeping up with your own high standards and expectations of yourself? Well, thank you very much for thinking I'm a high performing individual. I do try and uh, I think I do in certain domains. My number one piece of guidance when it comes to keeping up with your own high standards and expectations of yourself is to act in accordance with your values and identity at all times. If your expectations are high, try and meet them. If you don't try and meet them, that's kind of your fault. Or if you choose not to, at least understand why you haven't met your expectations. So be clear that, I think I mentioned earlier, you were saying like, oh, my guilty pleasure might be a tub of Ben and Jerry's on a, on a, on a Sunday night uh, watching a movie. And it means you, you eat too much and you stay up late so you don't get up early and train the Monday morning and work towards that body you've always wanted. Well, of course, your expectations and your reality are going to have a delta between the two because your actions were that delta and it's your fucking fault entirely. So my holiday was a really good example. I was completely calm and in agreement that I would be using those seven days to just enjoy myself. I ticked the boxes when it came to my day job. I ticked the boxes when it came to my podcast, which meant I didn't have lots to do when it went away. So if I partied for the first three days, which I did and enjoyed myself and didn't really think too much about what else was going on, I felt able to do that. And my expectations of myself were not to be the typical version of Colin. They were to be Holiday Colin, I changed my identity in that moment in time, which is really important. You can joke nowadays, you can identify as whatever you want. Well, you truly can when it comes to that kind of thing. You can be the type of person you want to be, but then your habits and your actions and your behaviors have to reflect that. So with that in mind, I think if your expectations are very high and you have high standards of yourself, try and meet them as much as possible. And when you don't, understand why you've not done so and what might have had to happen differently for you to do that. Or adjust your expectations in in accordance with the reality of your circumstances that enable you to do these things. Question number 28. What is one thing you're doing wrong that you know you're doing wrong that you could fix? What I'm doing wrong is I'm not offering a sufficient range of products for the people that listen to this podcast to get involved and work with me more closely. There we go. I'm not supporting my audience enough with the different options that want more from me and they want to have better access to me through more than just a podcast. And I haven't done that. So I'm doing, I'm doing that wrong and I could fix that as, as soon as possible. Question number 29. Did you manage to switch off from work and your podcast while away on holiday? Interesting that overlaps with talking about being a super focused and a high performance individual. My screen time fell lots. I think I was like under like two and a half hours a day, which is good. I think pretty much all of that was just Instagram or whatever by the pool. Although in some of the days, in the mornings by the pool, after we'd been out the night before and we're trying to uh, recalibrate before going for a gym session and some caffeine, I did check work emails, forward them on to different people. So stuff that came in from clients that maybe got me out of office but weren't doing anything with it, I would send on to the, the guys in the team that I knew could pick it up. And podcast-wise, I did a, I think I was on the laptop twice for about 20 minutes combined, and that was just scheduling some of the clips that I got through from my editor and contacting 
an existing guest of an episode that just come out and scheduling in a StreamYard call with a guest I've been chasing for ages. And when I saw the email come through, I was like, well, I'm going to have to deal with that. So I pretty much did the bare minimum to keep it ticking over. And I switched off mostly and I changed my identity from the kind of current high performance focused calling in the domains that I really cared about that you're getting to speak to now to holiday mode calling where I was just enjoying myself and, and letting each moment pass as it did. Question number 30, this is going to be a nice one to, to wrap up on. And thank you to Stuart McMillan for this question and his support of the podcast from the very, very start. Colin, take a moment to think about the work you've put in over the last 199 episodes, a real moment. Now, put it into some words if you can. I think if I was to tell you about the things I was thinking about during those very brief moments that I took after thinking about the work that's gone into the last 199 episodes, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of pleasure from seeing the fruits of that labor. There's a lot of satisfaction from knowing the positive downstream effects that that's had as well, because the efforts that I put on here to bring you interesting people or experts in their field has a massive positive effect on the people that listen to it, the thousands of people that choose to put me in their ears on a, on a Sunday morning or on a Monday morning is, is absolutely incredible to see. And the work that I put in to that, I, 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 I feel like you guys appreciate it. The, the kind of 500 combined five-star ratings between Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that, 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 that is a sign of that. The people that share it to their Instagram story or they, they drop me a message say, oh, I was listening to this episode and the episode came out like eight months ago. And I'm like, oh my God, or it came out two years ago. And I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. That's still giving value at this moment in time. So that's, that, that's amazing that that work is paying off in that regard. And I certainly feel accomplished in that I've built a skill set that is valuable to more people than just a handful of people that were maybe listening to it in those first couple of episodes when I shared it on my Instagram or the, the, I mean, don't get me wrong. It had a few hundred, I was fortunate I had, a, I had a decent Instagram audience where there was a few hundred people immediately came across, but getting people to come from a short form platform like Instagram to come to listen to a podcast is, is hard work because despite having 15 and a half thousand Instagram followers, I don't have 15,500 podcast listeners every single time in a day or whatever. It's just not how it works. But I certainly feel a level of accomplishment in building up something from the ground. And I feel excited about where it's still to go and what we could potentially achieve in terms of the different people we could speak to, the different topics we could touch on, the different opportunities that can open up to the people that listen to this from a positive perspective. And of course, me going on that journey in that regard as well, in terms of opening up my mind to new topics and new subjects, implementing these things into my lifestyle, and then pushing things off the back of this that are, that, that might change my life from a, from a, from a career and a, a financial perspective. But I just want to say that I think it's still early in the grand scheme of things. I've, I've got so much more to come from this show. Episode 199, episode 200 is out next week. If you're listening to this before that, make sure you're on my email list because I'll be revealing who the guest is. And it's a returning guest, which I'm sure you all enjoyed the first time around. And his name has come up in this podcast already. But yeah, it's still so early. I'm so grateful for the support. I've answered 30 questions today. There were a number of questions that I got through Instagram, my email list, which I've taken note of, and I promised to answer them in episode 209. That's crazy to say that, episode 209, which will be in, I don't know, eight to 10 weeks' time. I'll be answering it then. But that's a wrap for this Q&A. Uh, as I've said throughout this, I've got eternal gratitude for the people that put me in the position. I'm pleased and I'm proud of the hard work that I've put in and the situation that I've moved myself towards. 
and I feel like we're just getting started. So thank you so much for your support. Please do go back in the archive, pick an episode you like, share it with a friend that you think would enjoy it. We are going to grow one listener at a time and we're going somewhere very, very special. I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.